Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion. And your lips may guard knowledge, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She has not pondered the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the house, the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to be mer- to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I had not listened to the voice of my teachers or inclined my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembly, in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yourself. Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you all, fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should be? Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the, wick, the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, but I'm so glad you're here. The God providentially brought you here, and we're going to study his word today, and we're going to be better for it when we leave. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying. There's a sermon that Jesus preached, the greatest sermon ever preached. And what we're doing is we're taking little snip, little snippets, snapshots, snapshots, tidbits, little bitty paragraphs. And we're exegeting that text and we're trying to go out and apply it to our lives. But how's this study going for you? Now, don't answer out loud. Just think, about how's this study going for you? And if you say, oh, it's going great. I feel better about myself from, from being here. I would say, well, you're not listening. Because for me, this isn't, um, this, this sermon doesn't make me feel better about me. It's been hard on my soul and hard on my ego and hard on my pride. This sermon, this Sermon on the Mount is, is taught by Christ to help us see sin for what it is, dreadful. And if you think you're doing okay so far, then just wait. We're moving little by little through this sermon, and we're going to get to verse 48 where Jesus says that our standard is perfection. And the reason our standard is perfection is because God is perfection, and he's our standard. And you're like, whoo, man, I'm so far away from perfection. And you are, and I am too. But it's, it is good for us. We've seen so far in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, we see the, the picture of a kingdom citizen. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
you know, people who follow after Christ are different. We are supernaturally empowered to live for Him and for His glory. So much so that when we're persecuted and people mistreat us for Christ's sake, we can rejoice. Pretty amazing. And as a result of our new character that He's given us, we make a difference in our world. We are salt and light. We are people of influence. We influence folks for the kingdom's sake. And Jesus, who loves the law, says he came to fulfill the law, which means he kept it. But also, the law and the prophets, they point us to Jesus. Jesus is a fulfillment of it. It's all about him. It's pointing us towards him. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't understand the law's purpose. They saw it as rungs on a ladder. They worked real hard at trying to keep the law, not just the written law, which is the Old Testament that we have today, but remember, they had a lot of oral traditions where they added to the law. They even tried to keep those things because they felt like if they kept those things, they could attain a righteousness on their own. The religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't understand who God was or or, nor did they understand who they were. They saw this chasm between themselves and God as being really, really narrow and really, really short. And the people of Jesus' day, they saw the, the chasm between the religious leaders and God really, really narrow as well. They thought the religious leaders were doing pretty good. I mean, they keep all these rules. They keep all the law. Look how holy they are. Look how godlike they are. But Jesus tells us something in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says something that was very shocking to the hearers of his day. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And jaws drop. What? I mean, the Pharisees, they're the, the godless of the godly. They've got it all together. How can our righteousness exceed that of these religious leaders? So what Jesus is doing here is giving us six examples of how our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And, and he starts with a formula. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. And some of the things he's going to mention, you have heard that it was said, some things are, are scriptural. They're right from the Old Testament. Now, some things aren't. But from last week's text, we were taught that the kingdom citizen, they don't murder. They don't take another one's life. But that means also that we, we're not people given over to anger, but we seek to treat people rightly, and we look to be reconciled to those we've hurt. In our text today, we... Kingdom citizens, they endorse family values. Again, Jesus is exposing the religious leaders' misunderstanding of the law. They didn't completely get it. So Jesus teaches us what the law really meant. What Jesus taught about murder, what we saw last week, he now teaches in a parallel way about adultery. He, de he defines it first. He teaches us that that lust or any other impure sexual thoughts are the equivalent of adultery. 
just as anger and, and slandering someone is the equivalent of murder. We can commit murder with our words. We can commit adultery not only with our bodies, but with our hearts and with our thoughts. And, and as we said the last few weeks, this isn't a new teaching. This is, oh, this, that's the, you know, the Old Testament teaching, now you've got New Testament teaching. No, it's not new teaching. Just as God exposed the hearts of the, of the Israelites in the Old Covenant, we see him do that time and time again. Now he's, in the New Testament, he's doing the same with the, the religious leaders, with the people of Jesus' day, and Jesus is doing for, for us. What is most important is not what we do outwardly, but what's most important, Mr. Bobby, is our heart, what goes on in here. I mean, think about the great promise that God gave through Ezekiel. God said, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, and I'm going to get you a heart of flesh. Yeah, that's, that's what's most important, is the heart. Two points from the text today. We're going to read this text, verses 27 through 30. and I'm going to, just, two, just two points. Let's read it together and then we'll continue on. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray and we'll continue. Father, we, we are asking you to open our minds and help us understand your word. Father, may we... Understand it clearly. Father, may you then empower us to leave this place today and to go out and apply it to our lives. Father, we are in need of you, in need of grace. Lord, we are lawbreakers. Lord, we, are, we don't have it all together. And we struggle in many ways. But Father, you want us to have pure hearts and pure minds. And you want us to obey you I ask you would help us to do that. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two points. First point from our text today is adultery can be committed in body as well as in our hearts and in our minds. Here Jesus reminds them that formula you've heard that it was said reminds them what they've been taught. And in verse 27, it's a letter-for-letter Rendering of the Greek version of the seventh commandment. Do you remember the seventh commandment, kids? Right? Yeah. These two have to stay together, right? Don't commit adultery. That's commandment number seven of the ten. And what we see here, this actually, you have heard that was said, is actually scripture. Yeah, you've heard it said. And he, and he quotes the seventh commandment. You should not commit adultery. Now, to commit adultery... Think about it in the Old Testament. What happens when you committed adultery and you were caught in the act in Old Testament days? Do you remember? Yeah, you were, you were stoned. It was, it was a capital offense. You were brought before the, the village or the town or the city, and you were stoned by the, the people in the town. So you were either an adulterer or you weren't. If you're living, guess what? You passed the test. 
check that one off your list. You're living, you're not an adulterer, right? But for the religious leaders, they and their, the people that uh, follow them, they kept the, the seventh commandment. They, they kept this command, provided they avoided the, the physical act of adultery itself. Like physically, bodily, if they stayed away from that, then they were innocent. That was their thought. All they had to do was not become one, you know, just like a married, a married man and a married woman. They become one. They consummate their marriage. They become one flesh. If they stay away from that, then they're in the clear and they're okay. See, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they separated thought and deed. Deeds were bad. Physically, you can't do that with another person that's not your spouse. Bad. You can't do that. Lawbreaker if you do. Thoughts? It was okay. Eh, you know, it's all right. As long as you don't touch, you're all right. And think about the Pharisees. We, we think about some of you can recall your New Testament and times where the Pharisees actually caught someone in the act of adultery. You remember John chapter 8? The woman who was caught in adultery, they, they bring her to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. What, what do you say we should do to her, right? Yeah, they were very hard on adulterers. Those who were outwardly, physically committing adultery. But as my buddy Andy says, the Pharisees, they erroneously thought you could win to shop as long as you didn't purchase anything. You can look and you can think and you, whatever you want to do, as long as you don't physically go through the act, you're all right. And so what they did is they gave a, a conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin and a conveniently broad definition of sexual purity. As long as you didn't touch, you're okay. But Jesus here is teaching that's not correct. That's not the meaning of the law. That's not the meaning of the seventh commandment. Jesus affirmed that the true meaning of God's command was much wider than a mere prohibition of, of intercourse. Just like the prohibition of murder included the angry thought and the insulting words, so the prohibition of adultery includes the lustful look and the unchecked thought. We commit murder, Jesus says, with our words. We can commit adultery with our thoughts. In other words, ladies, you can wear a white wedding gown and not be pure. So adultery is wrong. That's a given. The Pharisees knew it, and, and, and we know it. But what Jesus is saying is that the root of the problem is in the impure desires of the heart. In the heart, there's something radically wrong. John Stott, he says, Heart adultery is the result of eye adultery. The eyes of the heart being stimulated by the eyes of the flesh. See, since the fall, mankind, we've, we've been dead to God, but the flesh is alive and well. We have something wrong with us called the flesh. We, we lust and we desire something forbidden. Like David, he saw Bathsheba, thought she was beautiful. He desired her. He didn't bridle his thoughts and he sought to have her. The sensual sins are preceded by sensual fantasies. So what happened, David sees her. He coveted, 
Uriah's wife. He imagined what it would be like to take her. And then what did he do? He, he took her. No sensual sin, sexual sins ever committed that's not first imagined, thought through, rehearsed. David committed adultery with Bathsheba because his heart was not like God's. He desired what was forbidden. He fed his flesh. He was the fool in Proverbs 5, as Hunter read for us, Proverbs 5. He didn't delight in the wife of his youth. He didn't let her breast satisfy him. He sought it in someone else, right? Hunter, you did a good job reading that text, by the way. Hunter says, I always give him the embarrassing text to read. And I don't do that purposely, but I guess it, it kind of sometimes happens. But that Proverbs 5, you need to go back and read that. It's pretty informative. The fool, what does he do? He's always looking. He's always window shopping. And as those thoughts, you imagine what it would be like, and before you know it, you're in the act of disobeying the Lord. The flesh is alive and well within us. But for us believers, kingdom citizens, those who have the Holy Spirit living in us, when the flesh, when the flesh's call rings, we don't have to answer it, do we? Isn't that great? Restraint is possible for us who believe. The phone rings and we pick it up, we, we hang up immediately and we apologize. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It gives us a lot of hope. No temptation has overtaken you, Paul says, that is not common to man. But when you are tempted, what happens? God provides a way out that we can stand up under it for his glory, right? But we live in this culture, don't we? American culture, Bentley, that is corrupt in so many ways. It's so corrupt, but never more corrupt than in the area of sexual immorality. When we think about the sports industry, we're kind of sports crazy. We like, Seth and I, my son, we like sports. You think about the sports industry, make billions of dollars annually. But what the pornography industry makes dwarfs that of the sports industry. It's amazing the money made on pornography. In our culture, sex, they say sex sells, and it's everywhere. James Montgomery Boyce, he reminds us of. C.S. Lewis's words in the book Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is discussing ethics and he comes to the topic of sex and he says that the appetite is in excess of its function. And he illustrates that. Let me read this. You can get a large audience together for a strip tease act, that is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now, suppose you came to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage. So on the stage, you got a plate, and it's covered. And then slowly, you lift the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights go out. And inside, on that plate contains a, a lamb chop or a, a side of bacon. Would you not think that in that country, something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would, you not, would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think that there was something equally strange about the state of the sex instinct among us? 
our culture is sex crazed and perverted. We live in a hedonistic society where restraint is seen as prudish or unhealthy even. And you start talking about chastity or abstinence, that's just countercultural. That's just downright strange. Well, Jesus was countercultural, wasn't he? He was countercultural in his day and in ours. Sometimes we think, man, we just live in a, a much different time than they lived. And it's a lot worse off than what it was then. We live in a pretty perverted society, that's for sure. But I'm not, I can't say that it's that too far different than their culture. Well, how are you doing when it comes to the, sec the seventh commandment? How are you doing with that? To the married, those who are married, are you not only in action, but in thought? Are you delighting yourself in only in your spouse? Are you faithful not just in, in deed, but in your heart, in your mind? Are you faithful to your spouse, to your, the lover God has given you? Or do you long for another? Are you, are you intoxicated with your, with your spouse's love? Or are you in thinking about someone else? And what about you if you're a young person or maybe you're single? How are you doing with this commandment, the seventh commandment? Are your thoughts pure? you desiring things that are Forbidden. That's what lust is, right? It's just desire for things forbidden. And it, we think about in the sexual realm, but it could be for other things as well. But adultery can be committed in, in body, but also in our hearts and in our thoughts. How are you doing with that? The second thing we see in our text is that we should deal drastically with sin. If you neglect to do so, there will be hell to pay. Look at verse 29 again. Jesus exposing, you know, the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. And that's just not the outward act. Because many, many people can kind of keep that in check, right? But no, it's about our hearts, about our minds. And, and my wife, am I thinking about... Uh, What's the song, um, Conway Twitty? I'm having daydreams about night things in the middle of the afternoon. I'm a Conway Twitty fan. But am I thinking that about my wife? Yeah, you should, but only about your spouse. So it's not just about outward. It's about your heart. Where's your heart? Young person, where's your heart? What you thinking about? says in verse 29, if your right eye calls you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Well, that's a little harsh. See? If your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's just a little, little harsh. What, what, what is Jesus doing here? He's teaching us to take adultery, to take lust, this sin of the seventh commandment, breaking the seventh commandment, we take this real seriously. We don't take it literally. Some have done so in the past. But, but think about it. You could be blind and still lust. Still desire something that's forbidden, right? Because it's not just an eye problem. It's actually a heart problem, right? 
But Jesus says this, this, these statements more than once. He's, again, in Matthew 18, 9, he, he used the same argument. And there have been some passionate believers who've taken this literally, and they've mutilated themselves. Third century scholar, Origen of Alexandria, he went to extremes in this case, and he made himself a eunuch. Not long after that, they got together. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, get, let's have a council. Let's have a church council about this. And they had a council of Nicaea and forbid this practice. But, yeah, it doesn't mean to emasculate ourselves, men. But what it does tell us to do, if, we, if what we see causes us to be tempted and causes us to sin, then we remove that from our sight. If where you go causes you to sin, then don't go. If what you pick up causes you to sin, then don't pick it up. Remove yourself from the situation. And as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22, run. Paul tells us, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's times we have to flee. And there's times when we face temptation and, 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 and fight through it, but there's, sometimes it's just a lost cause. There's some temptations we're, we're just not equipped uh, to resist or it's not wise to try to fight those temptations. That, that's the case with sexual temptation, I think. Again, James Montgomery Boyce, he says this, in most of the temptations of this life, although they may well be severe, the Christian has an ally in reason. You can just reason yourself through it. He may be tempted to cheat on his income tax. But if he is, his reason will tell him that the computers today are very thorough and that the gain, if there is one, is entirely out of proportion to the loss of money, time, and reputation if he could be caught. You just think about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to steal some money from the government. And then, but you, you think through that and think, well, what if I get caught? There's logic and reason, right, coupled with the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah, I don't think that's worth it. I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to just pay extra money if I have to. I'd rather have less money than have to deal with the embarrassment or, or whatever of getting caught. It's not worth the risk, right? He says, reason unites with his knowledge of the good and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit to save them. It is the same in many other temptations, but not with love. Love meaning sexual, this sexual idea of love. It is entirely different with love or with the sexual instinct. There is something here that operates apart from reason or even against it. So that's why 2 Timothy 2, 2, flee those youthful passions. Run, right? Sometimes we have to run. Brad Bigney, he, he's got a great book on idolatry called Gospel Treason. But he talks about how in sexual sin, sexual temptation, he compares it he, he, he agrees with James Montgomery Boyce when it comes to sexual sin. We, sometimes we just have to get out of there. Don't stay and fight. Get out of there and run. Remove yourself. And he kind of compares it to a, a buck in rut chasing a hot doe. Some of you, you deer hunt. You're, you want to kill a, a deer. You want to kill a big buck. When, what time of the year... During the hunting season, what's the when do you have the greatest chance of killing that deer? During the rut. And why is that? 
Mr. Bobby, why is that? You're a hunter. <laughs> he loses the deer. Listen, 345 days of the year, this buck who lives in this area of woods, you'll never see. Comes out in the night, it'll come out and feed, go in. You never see. It's very elusive. You never see it. But you have a, a hot doe. He's in rut. He completely loses his mind. And what does the, 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 the buck will run through, run across an interstate? Four lanes this side, four lanes that side, jump the median, chasing a doe. I've had him do it. You've seen it. Those of you that hunt, you're just hunting. Here, here comes a doe and here comes a buck. Just running wherever the doe goes. Where the, not even thinking. So I could just shoot that deer whenever I wanted to, right? Yeah, they just lose their mind. There's no reason. That's what happens in regard to sexual sin. Sometimes there's no reason there. So what do we do? We, we flee and we run. We get... Get out of Dodge. Joseph is an example for us. Remember Joseph at Potiphar's house? Potiphar's wife. Potiphar had given Joseph a charge of everything. The only thing he hadn't given him was his wife. But his wife, she really liked her some Joseph, didn't she? She was pretty persistent. What did Joseph finally do? He got out of Dodge, didn't he? Yeah, he ran out of there. Jesus, what's he teaching us? Get rid of whatever is tempting you to sin sexually. And what happens, there's a maiming of sorts that may have to happen in our lives. We're, we're about to go to application here, but in our lives, we may have to eliminate some things in our lives that may be totally innocent in and of themselves. And we all struggle in different ways with different sin. But there may be certain TV shows or movies that need to be avoided. It may be that you have to miss out on some movies. Um, Somebody recently was asking about some about the Titanic. They said, somebody, you, you know, the Titanic, whatever. I said, I never saw, I've never seen that. And they're like, you haven't seen that? How in the world have you not seen that? It's an iconic movie. I said, well, I haven't seen it because there's a, a naked woman in it and there's a sex scene in there. And that's, the, that's what I don't, I don't go near that. I stay away from that. John Stott says you may have to be culturally maimed in order to preserve your purity. Maybe you don't need to watch the movie. Maybe you need to disconnect your dish. Maybe you need to get rid of your phone. Maybe you need to get rid of your computer. Maybe you need to not go this way to work. You need to go that way. Maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe you need some accountability. Maybe you need to confess this sin, this pornography and this lustful stuff that's going on. Maybe you need to confess that to a, a sister or a brother in Christ for some accountability. Maybe you need to change how you do things at work. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't go to lunch. I don't do lunch appointments with people of the opposite sex. Maybe it, I don't text people. I don't call people. I don't, you know. Maybe it needs to be where, you know, your spouse has all access to all your stuff. If you're a spouse and, you're, you're, and you're, your spouse, you don't have, like, an open invitation to your phone and to all your stuff, that's a problem. You need to make sure open access. Look at anything I have. There may be some things we need to change in order to avoid this sin. How do we flee? Well, all of us have different things that we, different ways we'll deal with that. 
there's no you know single way we deal with this together corporately individually you have to make those decisions for yourself and for your family children we parents I know I know you have the best kid in the world and your kid doesn't sin but every now and again I get all that but if your kid has a device and it's has Wi-Fi please get some parental controls on that you should see everything your kid sees but I trust my kid well you're not very smart you're not wise I'm sorry Think about 16, 17. When I'm 16, 17, what's going on in your mind? 15, 14, and I have open access to all the things. There's so many more things that kids can see just like that that we never could 20 years ago. Get some parental controls on your kids' devices. And I just said, well, you know, every, we can't make blanket statements, but I can say about that. We've talked about that before. Have some have some parental controls on their devices. I know your kid would never look at it. I'm dealing with middle school girls who are looking at pornography in our folks in our church, folks in our community, friends of mine's kids. It's not just boys, it's not just men, it's women and it's girls. It's everywhere. So we have to do what we can to help our children and help our young people and help our spouses and help our brothers and sisters. Yeah. We have to deal with our eyes. Job, what did he say? Job 31, 1 through 4. I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? In other words, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a, at a woman, right? What would be my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number my, my steps? Job says, I made a code of my eyes. I'm not going, I may see, and I'm not going to take a second look. And I'm going to take those thoughts captive because the Lord sees and he knows my heart. So it deals with, we have to work with the eyes, right? How are we going to stop our eyes? And then we have to deal with, with our hearts. Psalm 26, verse 2, the psalmist says, test me and try me. Test my heart and my mind. This is a pretty big deal. Notice the warning we see in verse 30. If your right, eye, uh, right hand calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better you to lose one of your members than your whole body be to go into hell. You think, well, what's that all about? Let's look. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, we see it again. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God will judge. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Middle school girls, right? We talked about that at our retreat. Put off, put on. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's idolatry to be sexually immoral. And who's the idol in this sexually immoral instance, circumstance? You're the, you, you're, you're the idol, right? Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Teenager, if you're looking at pornography, and that's, an, and that's a habitual act, something that you're doing, and it's a part of your life, and you're not willing to give those things up, this is my love, this is what I want to do, you will not enter the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Last text, Revelation. Just talking about the new heavens and the new earth, right? When all things are made right. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's awesome. When everything's made right, we're going to be with, in, in, with the Lord in glory. But as, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Yeah, we have to we have to be take this very seriously. Because if this is who we are and this is what we're all about, there's hell to pay. Then what this is not like a works based thing. You mean if I do this certain thing that I'm no, I'm just saying if it's a habitually part of your life and this is what you love and this is who you are, then that's you'll be judged. So, so application, what do we do? Well, for, firstly, I would say this. We believe, in, we believe that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so if you're a, a person who's repented of, of their sin and trusted Christ's work on the cross as their own, you may struggle in life. We all struggle in life. You may struggle with your thought life and sexual purity. You may have a pornography problem or a relationship that's not appropriate. Believer, repent. Right now, repent. Turn from your sin. Gouge out the eye, cut off the hand, and do what you got to do. If you're here and you, you think, yeah, adultery, I'm maybe not outwardly, but my heart, my mind, yeah, I'm all about that. Maybe you're in a relationship that's uh, not appropriate. But you've never, you've never repented of your sin. You've never come to Christ and said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm so wrong and I deserve your worst. I deserve your wrath. But I, I recognize that. But I also recognize that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died. And he, I know that Jesus died for me and he, he took my place on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later so I could be justified and I want to today I want to repent and I want to trust Christ trust his work on the cross as my own and I want to follow Jesus and I want to turn from this wicked sin and this selfishness this idolatry and this immorality I want to encourage you to do that by way of application that'll be your application today 
If you've never repented, you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. For some of us, it may be that we need to to make some adjustments in our life, like I said. And I'm not sure what that is for you. I have my own. You need to deal with that in however you, you need to. But we need to be like that coon that got caught in the cage. When I was younger, I was... Uh, I would trap. I like to, we hunt and fish a lot and I would trap, but dad would tell me, you know, you got to run that trap in the morning and in the afternoons. Well, I I didn't, I like to sleep. uh, And so I wouldn't run them in the morning. And so what happened in the, in the afternoons, I would go and, and sometimes I would, I would, you know, I'd call a coon and it was just snap traps. And so sometimes I would just have a foot. You know what happened? I caught a, a coon, but that coon wanted to live. And so what did that coon do? It's got its, 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 its foot in that trap. So what it would do, it, was, it would gnaw its, around the wrist. It would gnaw its foot off. Because that coon knew if it didn't gnaw its foot off, it was going to die. And so, believers, we need to be that way in regard to sexual sin. Whatever we got to do to survive and to live, that's what we need to do. Because what happens to the sexually immoral? You don't enter the kingdom of God. Judgment. Do whatever you got to do to eradicate that, to run from that. How are you going to flee? I want to encourage you to do, do that. Whatever it takes. Getting rid of the TV, getting rid of the dish, getting rid of the phone, getting rid of the computer, getting rid of the job, getting rid of the relationship, getting rid of the whatever. Whatever it is. Now, I would encourage you as well, by way of application, is don't give blanket statements for everybody. And don't be self-righteous. Say, well, I don't have TV, I don't have a computer, I don't have a da-da-da-da. Well, don't do that. We're not self-righteous. We're No, we, we all struggle in different ways and each person has to figure out how they need to handle living life in this sex-crazed, hedonistic world. But as a believer in Christ, we have to follow the Lord. There are certain things we have to do as the Lord bring those to our attention. I just want to encourage you with that. Jesus, he's, uh, he's stirring the pot a bit, isn't he, with these religious leaders and they're thinking they've got their, all their ducks in a row. And he's pointing out, saying, no, you really don't. You think you've got your stuff all together. Outwardly, you may look like you do. But what's your heart like? And that's what God's after. He wants our hearts to be like his. And, and Blake was talking about during a worship time, that sanctification process. Yeah, the sanctification is, is dealing with our heart. And what happens out of the overflow of our heart, the, our mouth speaks. And our, our, our lives, what we do is a result of our heart condition. Why do, we, why do we yell at our wives? Why do we yell at our kids? Why do we yell at our husbands? Why are we snappy? Why are we moody? Da, 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 da. It's because our hearts are jacked up. Why do we look at pornography? Why do we look at another man, look at another woman? Why do we spend too much time at work with this one relationship that we shouldn't? It's inappropriate. Because our hearts are messed up. We're adulterers and idolaters. And Jesus is pointing that out to show us our sin and show us our need for Him. But believer, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have a Redeemer? Aren't you glad that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, He 
took our punishment for us. He suffered the wrath that we deserve because we're all ad adulterers. You know, how, how do you know? You don't know my heart. You're right. I don't. But Jesus does. And what's he doing? He's pointing out. You know, we all got a problem. I mean, I'm so glad that Jesus took my punishment. He bore the wrath that I deserve. I'm so glad. So when I blow it, when I, the flesh calls and I pick up that call, ugh, I can put it down and just, oh, Lord, I was so wrong. That's so wrong. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. And he pours out that mercy and grace freely, doesn't he, on, on us as believers. Aren't you glad? Because there's sometimes you just have bad days. And there's sometimes you just blow it and you just do something stupid and it affects you and your family and your church. But aren't you glad that you can just you come to the throne of grace because of what Christ has done? We can be forgiven and we can walk in obedience to the Lord. I want to encourage you to make sure your relationships are what they should be. Make sure there's appropriate, your relationships are appropriate. And that could be within the church. Hey, within the church. Within the church, make sure our relationships, men, women, brothers, sisters, make sure they're appropriate. We love it. Man, we have a really affectionate church. I'm very affectionate. Jenny, we were overseas. For those of your vision with us, my wife and I, we spent 10 years in China, and Chinese people are not very affectionate. They're not affectionate at all. You touch them, it's like, it's like hugging this pew, it feels like. They just don't know what to do, you know? And just, we're, we're, I'm just a real affectionate person. And Jenny would have to tell me, Shane, quit touching people. You're freaking people out. Because I'm real affectionate. And we are, we're real affectionate. We're not now, if you're visiting with us, I'm so, you know, you go up, do you shake hands? Do you hug people? You know, right now we don't really know. It's just real weird. So I appreciate Jimmy. He came in there and he just stuck his hand out. So I knew if I should shake his hand or not. You know, Al shook, shook, shook his hand out there. I'm glad because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But we are real affectionate, aren't we? And we love each other and we affect, and I think we should be. But you just have to be sensible. Because they don't take just, all of a sudden your mind gets going crazy. Like, oh, what am I going with that? Why am I doing that? We have to. Deal with that, okay? Young people, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, I'm glad I'm married. Um, you got to do what you got to do to be pure. Don't give the devil an ammo. Um, if you go, if you got to go years without TV, years without movies, years without video games, years without whatever, do what you got to do. Cut off the hand, pluck out the eye in order to be obedient. All right. I might be beating a dead horse by now. Anything else before we leave? So I gave you application. If you're lost and you've never repented, I'd love to talk to you. If you're like, man, I just, I'd like to talk about this with somebody. There's a lot of people here. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work. You don't have to come to me. You're like, I, I just repented and gave my life to the Lord. Tell somebody. And then I want you to tell me eventually. But you don't have to talk just to me. I, I don't have any, you know, I'm just the pastor. We got a lot of people here who know the Word of God and can and counsel you and talk to you about spiritual things, encourage you. But if I can't help you, I would love to do so. 
If you got a problem, you know, man, I need to confess it. I need to unload this thing because I've been really struggling with this relationship, with this inappropriate relationship or this past or this whatever. If you need to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. But there's other people here that can do that as well. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, you're good to us and we're not good to you in so many ways. Father, we struggle and we um, sometimes it seems like we just limp through life in regard to our thoughts and uh, sexual purity. Lord, we do struggle. And I pray that you'd give us as a church grace and you'd help us, Lord, to be holy. Lord, you've uh, exposed us today, some of us probably, and pray that you would, you would put that balm on that wound that you've afflicted upon us and give us grace to repent and obey for those that are here that are, that are being immoral, whether it's by in, in thought or in deed. May you grant repentance. Help us be the church you want us to be. Father, for the lost that are here that's never repented and they're, they're at enmity with you. Father, I pray that they would, Lord, as they leave, that that would be on their minds, that they would go home. And even tonight, as they lay their head on their pillow in the darkness of that room and the quietness of that room, that the gospel message they've heard today would ring loud in their ears. And, Lord, you would grant them faith and, and repentance for your glory. Father, for all those that are traveling in our church family, a lot of people out of town, I just pray that you'd be gracious to them. Lord, give them travel mercies. Lord, even as they are, are with family members and seeing friends, I pray that you would give them opportunities to share the gospel, that they would be a minister of reconciliation even as they're away. And Father, for this whole COVID uh, virus, I just pray that you would, uh, God, just help us. Keep us safe. Lord, those that are not in good health, those that are older, we pray especially that you would guard them and protect them and help us just to know how to handle this and how to move our church uh, back to normalcy. We ask for wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.